Pastor Xavier Reese explains why we need to be ready to receive our King. The church is reminded of the soon return of Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus says, Behold, I come quickly. Quickly means sudden, speedily, without delay. The same word appears seven times in the book of Revelation. In chapter 22, verse 7, Behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of this prophecy of this book. Now, do you think he's coming? Absolutely. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Fear Factor, American Idol. Everyone is looking for recognition, but does notoriety bring true contentment? Today, as he takes us to the book of Revelation, Pastor Xavier shares what God does for those who make their relationship with Him number one. Let's listen. Revelation chapter 3, verse 7 through 13 the message is entitled, The Loving Church, Philadelphia. Let me read our text for us here, beginning verse 7. And to the angel of the church of Philadelphia write these things, says, He who is holy, he who is true, he who has the keys of David, he who opens door and no man shuts and shuts and no man opens. I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door and no one can shut it. For you have a little strength, have kept my word and have not denied my name. Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet and to know that I have loved you. Because you have kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have, that no one take your crown. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. And I will write upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God, and I will write on him my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The pattern, you're very familiar now. The proclamation, the commendation, the condemnation, the exhortation, the application with a few exceptions with no condemnation, which Philadelphia is one of them. Let's look at the proclamation in verse 7. The Lord identifies himself as he who is holy. This identification is not found in the first chapter as the others, but it's implied all through it. The very risen Christ, the glorified Christ in chapter 1, he is the epitome of holiness, risen from the dead. It's plastered all over that first chapter. The description identifies the character of Jesus by one of his attributes that make him distinct from man. The theologians have a word, the otherness of God. He's different than us, holy. Our Lord identifies himself also as he who is true, elithinos, which comes from the word elithia, real or genuine as Messiah, contrast to the false Messiah that's going to come in the book of Revelation, the Antichrist. I'm the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus said in John 14, 6. On that verse, eternity depends whether you believe he's the way, the truth, and the life, or whether you believe he's one of the ways, one of the truths, and one of the lives. Either he told the truth or he's the biggest liar that's ever existed, one of the two. But notice also our Lord identifies himself as he who has the keys of David. Keys speak of authority, as you know, power to control. Identifying his royal office. He is the ultimate. He is the head. The keys refer to the dual prophecy. You remember Solomon and Christ in 2 Samuel 7. 
Solomon would be the descendant on David's throne, but the ultimate, that was short-term. Long-term-wise, it would be Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Messiah. Jesus holds the keys of Hades and death. He's told us in chapter 1, verse 18. He destroyed him who had the power of death. He spoiled principalities and powers, Colossians tells us, chapter 2, verse 14 and 15. He led captivity captive, Ephesians 4 says, and he took him to heaven. <laughs> no one could stop him because he destroyed death and him who had the power of death. And so this was the proclamation to Philadelphia. Now notice the commendation in verse 8 through 10. In verse 8, Jesus knew what they were doing and had done in the past. There is no condemnation to this church. She is on the cutting edge. She is there with her ear tuned to God. Jesus had set before them an open door, and no one could shut it. That's important. The city was the gateway to the region of the ancient world, remember? So the door was personally for them. I have set before you. So what are you doing? Are you doing what God has called you to do? Are you involved the way God has told you to be involved? That's a very critical examination for each of us in our life. The reason Jesus opened such doors is given to us. It's threefold in verse 8. First, the church had a little strength depending on him. Little strength does not mean not enough strength to do the work, but little strength is a number. There were few of them, but they depended on the Holy Spirit to be controlled and to be the source of all that was going on in the church. Notice, secondly, the church had kept his word and obeying him. Second reason, he opens those doors. Those coming out of the Reformation into the missionary church believe the authority of God's word unlike Sardis. If you do not believe God's word is the authority of your life, if you start making rational conclusions that there's mistakes in here, that, you know, really men wrote it, you have no authority of your life. You will just get corrupted and perverted. You will have no submission to the authority of God because now you have become God. I believe that this Bible is the inspired, inerrant, infallible Word of God, and it has the absolute authority over my life, both in practice and in life and anything that happens. Absolutely. And if you're going to be strong and if you're going to be victorious as well as I, it's going to be because you're going to know the Word of God. You're going to depend on the Word of God. You're going to go to the Word of God for your answers. If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him, Jesus said in John 14, 23. Do you realize the Holy Spirit's in you, the Son's in you, the Father's in there? There's a crowded place in there. The Trinity's in you, not just the Holy Spirit. The church had not denied his name, thirdly, being loyal to him. This also is in the eras, describing loyalty in the past. They had never denied privately or publicly their faith and loyalty to Christ, which was the result of their perseverance, their compassion, and their love for the lost. If you confess me before man, I will confess you. If you deny me, I will deny you, Matthew 10, 32 and 33 says. It's just that simple. It's just that clear. Now, because of these things, all three of them, they were commended for Christ and had set before them this open door, and no one could shut it. So it's a lot easier to steer a moving object than one who's sitting. So I'm moving. I'm, 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 I'm moving. Lord, okay, now steer me where? Wherever you want. Paul was going to Missy. Don't preach here. Bithynia, don't preach here. Man of Macedonia, come over to Philippi. Okay, and here's Lydia. All right, let's get going. And if you're moving, God will steer you. But if you're sitting, you're probably deaf. <laughs> True to his word, Jesus always opened doors to the Philadelphian-type churches to communicate the gospel message. 
through agape love. Again, Jesus did it in the New Testament. Acts 2, Pentecost, 3,000 were at it. In Acts 16, the Holy Spirit again forbade Paul and took him to Philippi. Acts 18, the Lord opened the door in Corinth for Paul. No one could have heard him. Paul was freaked out. Jesus appears to him, don't worry. I have many souls in the city. No one's going to harm you. You can be in the midst of war. You can be in the midst of danger. If God has sent you, nothing's going to happen to you. But if he's chosen to take you home that way, what does it matter? You're going to go, listen, no one gets out of here alive. I couldn't find a better way to check out than doing the Lord's work. I don't want to check out holding the TV remote. (laughs) (laughs) Ephesus was an open door for three years, Acts 19. The great effectual door opened up to him. He said, many adversaries, 1 Corinthians 69. It's warfare, but it's a good warfare. They came to Troas and Christ, they preached the gospel there. A door was opened to me by the Lord, Paul says, 2 Corinthians 12, 12. He says this to the Colossians, Colossians 4, 3. Meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in chains. Paul's prayer was pray for an open door. Pray for an open door. Open door here. God did this open door. This open door. Paul understood open doors. And they were from the Lord. And so Jesus did it in the Reformation. He did it through Swingley. He did it through Luther. He did it through John Knox. He did it through many of the revivals that went on in England, the British Isles, Ireland, America. He used common people, like I said, George Whitfield, Charles Wesley, Finney, Moody, Billy Sunday. Men that took advantage of those open doors and they ran and they were obedient to the call of God. Today, God is still opening doors. God is opening doors all over the place. Some churches are doing some incredible work that we don't even know about, but it doesn't matter. God knows about it. God's doing the work. And he will continue to open doors until he removes his church. Now look at verse 9. Jesus would have abased the ones who opposed the open door. So there's opposition. But opposition doesn't mean it's not the door of the Lord, okay? The Lord Jesus identifies their their enemy as those of the synagogue of Satan. The allusion is to Isaiah 60, verse 14. In four of the seven churches, we already see Satan is in it. In chapter 2, verse 9, verse 13, verse 24, and now here, 3, 9. Four of the six to this point, Satan is in. Jesus gave the parable of the kingdom parables of the mustard seed that grew up to an abnormal plant and to a tree and buzzard birds lodged therein. Listen, the church has a lot of buzzards in it. Not a fat birds. They need to be expelled, shooed away. But we know it's not going to happen. We know it's going to increase. Men will grow worse and worse deceiving and being deceived. Great following, 2 Peter chapter 2. Incredible. Listen, don't get all inspired and impressed about big churches. There are some good big churches, but just because it's big doesn't mean the Word of God is being taught. And don't get this small mentality, oh, you know, it's just, you know, the few of us, you know, we're the chosen frozen. No, that's the other extreme, okay? (laughs) Whether small or large, what you want to do is hear what is being taught. What is being practiced? 
That's the test. The Lord Jesus indicates their deceptive words. They were saying they were Jews but were not. Paul picks that up in Romans chapter 2, verse 28 and 29. And so the Lord identifies his victory over the enemy. Jesus would make them come and worship at the feet of the church of Philadelphia. The word worship, the word means to kiss the hand or to touch the ground with one's forehead in a reverence and in homage. But not for conversion here. It's for judgment. That's the context. Jesus would defeat their opposition. Jesus would humble them to their knees before the church and worship at their feet. Fulfilling Philippians chapter 2 where he says, Every knee shall bow, every tongue confesses Jesus Christ as Lord. Now willfully, by grace through faith, to be saved. Then forcibly, only to be damned. The choice is up to individuals. It is a choice. No one is forced to go to hell. But you have the perfect right to go to hell. You can go there. But you don't have to. Notice verse 10. Jesus would exempt the church from a future testing. The reason was due to the fact that they had kept his commandments to persevere. They had kept in the arrows a historic fact, depending on Jesus for what he commanded. They had been disciplined to yield to the Holy Spirit in obedience. The word perseverance means steadfastness, constancy, endurance. In the New Testament, in fact, it is used for a woman or a man who's characterized by one who uh, is not swerved from the deliberate purpose of his loyalty to the faith, piety, regardless of the trials and the difficulties. Literally, it is the word of his endurance. His is the source as they depend upon him. And so the Lord would keep them from the specific time of testing. Mark that for sure in verse 10. It would involve a definite period of time indicated by the phrase, the hour of trials. Now, this promise could not refer to normal trials, testings, or tribulations because we've already seen John 16, 33, Jesus says, in the world you have tribulations. Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So the testings that we have now are of Satan, our fallen nature, and the fallen world. They're normal. Paul exhorted the new believers in Acts 14, 22, you must enter, we must enter the kingdom of God through many tribulations. That's normal. James 1, 2 through 4 tells us that we're to rejoice when we fall into diverse trials and testing for the perfecting of our faith. Peter calls them fiery trials and we shouldn't be shocked when they come in 1 Peter 4, 12 and 13. John has told us in chapter 1, verse 9 that he's a companion in tribulation. Those are normal. The reference here is to the time of tribulation known as the 70th week of Daniel, which we don't have time to get into. It's also known as Jacob's trouble in Jeremiah 30, verse 7. It is the seven years of tribulation and great tribulation, a very specific time, the hour. The word from is the word ek, which means out of. The church will be removed in the rapture. John 14, 1 through 4, Jesus said that. I will come back to receive you to myself. Romans 5, 9, 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, God has not appointed us to wrath, but to salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17, we will be caught up together in the clouds and be with the Lord forevermore in our loved ones. Chapter 4, verse 1, seven years of tribulation distinct from the church. And so we're not earth dwellers. We are heavenly citizens, pilgrims. Philippians chapter 3, verse 18 through 20, 1 Peter 2, 11. And so this was the commendation to Philadelphia. What a great church. Perfect? Nope. On fire? Absolutely. (laughs) 
Notice the exhortation in verse 11. The church is reminded of the soon return of Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus says, Behold, I come quickly. Quickly means sudden, speedily, without delay. It's the promise. The same word appears seven times in the book of Revelation. They were to see it as a warning to be ready and not lose out on the open doors or the window time that God. Four of the seven times repeat the same statement. In 311, Behold, I come quickly, hold fast what you have, that no man take your crown. In chapter 22, verse 7, Behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of this prophecy of this book. Revelation 22, 12, it says, And behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to every man according to his works. 22, 20 says, He who testifies these things says, Surely I am coming quickly. Amen. Even so come, Lord Jesus. Now, Do you think he's coming? (laughs) Absolutely. The church that has for his proclamation the soon return of Jesus Christ will be a beacon light, will be a Philadelphian church, a missionary church, a loving church. The modus is the love for Jesus and the soon return. The evidence of the genuineness of both the proclamation and love is demonstrated by holy living If he's telling you, hang on out this car, why? He says that no one may take your crown. The implication is unmistakable. There is always a danger of loosing and suffering loss if we are careless. If there isn't a chance, why all the warnings and the exhortations throughout the Old Testament and the New? Who's the ones who are constantly warned against deception and strain? The believer, not the non-believer. They're already lost. They're already strained. Very important. Notice the reason for the admonition is that no one take your crown. The word crown is Stephanos, the word for a victor's crown in the Olympic Games. Paul uses it in 1 Corinthians 9.25 and many other portions. The word is used for all five crowns that is promised to the believer, the bema seat of Christ in 1 Corinthians 3.13-15 and many others. Some of the ways that we can allow people to spoil our crown is very important. Let me give you some. You can add to the rest. We allow the present and the pressure of the day to have us compromise. Pressure. I don't care how old you are. Pressure. We allow the influence of others to do things uh, for the wrong motives. We get away from the truth of the word and we corrupt it in ourselves. We do not walk through the open doors that Jesus has opened to us. We do not depend on the strength of Christ for service but our own. And you could add many, many more. This was the exhortation to Philadelphia. Great exhortation. Now they were the greatest church. Why don't? Because you want to keep doing it. Your kids playing good baseball, football, and you say, keep it up, keep doing it. You know, great, because you want them to keep on doing it. Because you know there's a possibility he might not do it. We all have feet of clay Notice he finishes with the application as in all other messages. Verse 12, the declaration is an invitation with promise of reward. The one to receive the reward is the overcomer, like all the other churches. Again, the first three, this came after the call to hear. To Thyatira, Sardis, and Philadelphia, it is before now. It is a timeless promise, even as you're hearing it now. It is the one who abides in Christ Jesus, John 15, 1 through 6. 
It is the one who overcomes through the faith of Jesus Christ, 1 John 5, 4 through 5. The Lord will do several things for the individual. The reward is different from church to church. Here, first, the overcomer will be made a pillar in the temple of his God. In the ancient world, they would um, print a person's name on a pillar and erect it in his honor. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.15 that the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the church, speaks about honor, stability. A pillar speaks of permanency, stability, strength, and the word temple there for the sanctuary is now the inner sanctuary, the holy of holies. It's used like that here and also Ephesians 2.20-22 and many other portions. It's talking about that day when we're with him. Notice, secondly, the overcomer will have permanent residence with God and go out no more. It speaks of permanent perfection from wavering. But notice, thirdly, the overcomer will have the name of his God and the city of his God, the new Jerusalem which comes down out of heaven from his God. This looks to Hebrews 12, 22, 29, a city not made with hands. Notice, there's, see there's his face and his name shall be on their foreheads. We see that in Revelation 22, 4. The 144,000 have the Father's name on their forehead. Revelation 14, 1. It speaks of ownership, privilege, authority, character, and faithfulness. And notice, fourth and last, the overcomer will have Jesus write on him the new name of Jesus. This is significant that the name of the city is changed by Tiberius and Vespasian. In Philadelphia. Now here, the name of Jesus is called the Word of God, the King of kings, Lord of lords, in chapter 19, verse 13 and 16. But the prophets of old tell us that in that time in the millennial kingdom, he will be called the Lord Tzitkanu, the Lord, our righteousness. And then the declaration is an invitation for everyone. There must be a willingness to listen. An individual must be a Philadelphian or not by responding. There's a responsibility, accountability. There's a culpability if you listen and you don't return and you don't respond or you don't repent. He who has an ear. And the declaration is an invitation to obey what the Spirit says to the church is plural. A cool. That one was here sensitive, literally accurate, effectively. The obedience is not limited to the message of Philadelphia. It's plural churches. They were responsible for the message of Philadelphia, but all the others. And so are you and so am I. This was the application to Philadelphia. Listen as I close. I think that I shall never see a church that's all it ought to be, a church whose members never stray beyond the straight and narrow way, a church that has no empty pews, whose pastor never has the blues, a church whose deacons always deek, and none is proud and all is meek. Where gossips never peddle lies or make complaints or criticize. Where all are always sweet and kind and all to others' faults are blind. Such perfect churches there may be, but none of them are known to me. But still, we'll work and pray and plan to make our own the best we can. If you're looking for the perfect church, when you think you found it, don't join it. You'll ruin it. <laughs> Remember your little strengths. Remember, he opens doors. Remember, he's coming. The message to Philadelphia 
was to keep trusting and walking in faith through the open doors because he's coming. The message speaks of a literal church in John's day. It speaks of a historical period, 1750 to, I think, all the way through, not just 1950. It speaks of a type of congregation that can exist throughout the church age, and it speaks about a Christian in the church. Are you a Philadelphian? Oh, I hope so. I thank God for you if you are. Pastor Xavier Reese with words of hope and encouragement of things to come. And you can request a copy of today's message, The Loving Church, Philadelphia. It's available for just $4 on CD. And this message also contains what Pastor Xavier talked about the last time we were together. So again, today's study is titled, The Loving Church, Philadelphia. Just ask for it when you write, Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And it's helpful when you tell us the call letters of this station when you contact us. Can you have one foot in the world and one in the kingdom? Find out how lukewarm Christians fare on the next edition of Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 